But let me uh, share a scripture with you this morning to begin with. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. I don't know if you're aware of this, but God has strategically placed you where you live. God has strategically placed you uh, in the job that you're in. Um, The place uh, where you work, where you play, where you learn, uh, where you do your shopping, wherever it is, God has strategically placed you in that job, next to that neighbour, Uh, You go to a a shopping mall very strategically, and that is because God wants you and I to be a light. He wants us us to shine. He wants us to be salt and light. He wants us to make a difference. And Paul, when he was writing to the church in Philippians, he gave, gave them and he gives us some advice. Go out into the world uncorrupted. A breath of fresh air. That's what you are. You are a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. And this is what our responsibility is. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. You know that the only glimpse of God that people really get is the God who is present and reflected in and through our lives. And, 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 and Paul goes on to say, carry the light-giving message into the night so that I'll have good cause to be proud of you on that day that Christ returns. Beautiful, beautiful scripture. I'm just going to share with you a couple of events from my life where I've had an opportunity to let uh, my light shine, to be a breath of fresh air um, uh, for, for, for people at different occasions in my life. I was a very, uh, very new Christian, three-month-old Christian. I was 19-year-old at the time, and um, I'd, I'd done my high school education in New Zealand. And as a, as a new Christian, I just felt compelled to go back to New Zealand um, to tell my best friend, friend Patrick about what had happened to me. I didn't know a lot about Jesus. I just knew that Jesus had come into my life and radically transformed me. And I wanted to share that good news with him because he was my friend. And I thought that this message would make a great difference in his life. So I flew over to Auckland, uh, went to his place that night, and I said, Patrick, this is what's happened to me. And he went, you're a nutter. You're crazy. And he went off to bed and he left me with his flatmate, um, John. And John and I began to talk. And I knew very, very little about Jesus other than the fact that he'd come into my life and turned my life around. But we talked for hour after hour after hour. And about two or three o'clock in the morning, John, I said to John, John, would you like to become a Christian? And he said, uh, yes, I would. I had no idea what to do because I'd never led anybody to Jesus before. And I said, we have to say a prayer. Uh, I, I've got a book somewhere that, that has a prayer in it that I think we should pray. And I went looking for this book amongst my suitcases. And then I'm going through this book and I can't find the prayer. And John, in his wisdom, said, Stephen, I think if we just say a prayer, perhaps God will, will hear it anyway. And I went, oh, that's a really good idea. And so we, we prayed this prayer together. And John's life was wonderfully transformed. He, had a, he actually had a, a profound encounter with God that night. Let me say the next morning when Patrick woke up to find out that his, uh, <laughs> his flatmate had become a Christian, uh, well, I wasn't very popular, let's put it that way. And John went on uh, to become a missionary in Zaire. 
which is uh, um, now the Democratic Republic of the Congo. He came back and then began working for World Vision. And, and John's ready to die now. He's actually coming over to see me in April. He has cancer. He's only got a very short period of time to live. And we don't get to see each other very often. He lives in New Zealand and I'm, I'm here uh, in Australia. But whenever we get together, we always reminisce about that night in Auckland where he had this encounter with Christ. And it's just so wonderful to be a part of that. One of the most significant defining moments um, in, in my life occurred on Monday the 2nd of October 1989, which was uh, Labor Day in New South Wales. We used to live in Newcastle, New South Wales. And I'd been asked to speak at an event which was being led by a man by the name of Fred Nile. I might have shared this story before, but... Um, Fred Nile was a, a politician, um, a Christian politician, and he'd heard my story and asked if I would go and share this particular rally that he was running, which was to take the same route as uh, Sydney Gay Mardi Gras. And at different points of, of that, that, that route, we would stop, we would kneel, we would pray and, and ask God to come and cleanse. It was called the March of Cleansing, cleanse the city of Sydney. And uh, we would then make our way up Oxford Street, uh, which is kind of, the, the, kind of the, the, the main area in the city of uh, Sydney where the gay community gathers. And right at the top of, of Oxford Street, there is uh, what's called Taylor Square. And Fred Nile had organised a, a, uh, a truck, and um, on the top of the truck, we were to get on the back there and, uh, I don't know, say whatever we were supposed to say and sing songs. What happened was when we uh, hit, um, hit Oxford Street, it turned out that the gay community had come out in force. There was about 10,000 people, and uh, about 3,000 of which were Christians. And it was incredibly volatile. Here's a, a photograph. The police were involved. It was one of the most... Actually, it was one of the most... Um, it was like a tinderbox. You know, if somebody had thrown a punch, the whole thing would have exploded. And I was uh, uh, backstage waiting for my turn to go on and the crowd were throwing rotten, rotten vegetables, they were throwing eggs at Fred and various people who were... You could not hear anything because the crowd was so um, stirred up and aggressive and it was like feeding Christians to the lions all over again. And I just went, I, I, just went, I can't go up there, it's just too scary. And anyway, I was called up, Fred called me up and God had given me a message to share, and that, was, that message was very simply asking the gay community of Sydney to give, forgive the Christian church for the bigotry um, that we had demonstrated towards them, for our hostility and for the manner in which we had so misrepresented the God of love to the, city of, uh, to the, to the, to the gay community. And when I did that, the place went absolutely silent completely silent. And I was then for the next 10 or 15 minutes able to share my story of how God had come into my life and transformed me. And then the gay community, I told them I'm, I'm about to get married in a couple of uh, uh, months' time. And um, the crowd, the gay community of Sydney sang, for he's a jolly good fellow for me. <laughs> years and years later, we were pastoring in, the, in, the, in Sydney and as I was sharing the story, in the middle of a congregation, this guy jumped up and he started to go, you're the one 
You're the one. You're the one. He was there on that day when the crowd supernaturally went quiet and God just spoke into that situation. An old couple, Jim and Merle, came up. They had tears. They were weeping. And they said to me, Stephen, we were there on that day. We witnessed the miracle where God silenced the crowd and we've prayed for you. We've wondered what happened to that young man. We've often wondered what happened to that young man who stood on the back of that platform and here he is today. He's now our pastor. It was a profound moment. Um, but I wonder if what I had to share had any impact upon the lives of those who were um, not Christians. I hope it did. And then uh, the third story is uh, a young girl by the name of Amanda. She would have been about 19 or 20 at the time. And um, she'd broken her ankle and she couldn't work. And so she couldn't afford to pay her rent and she couldn't afford food. But this, uh, if you can show the next one, this lovely couple next to them uh, were a couple in our church, Charlie and Naomi. They were also university students, just married. And they would take bags of groceries uh, to Amanda and that helped uh, her financially. And uh, they brought Amanda along to church, and Amanda was, um, came to Christ. And Amanda came and actually lived with us for a two-year period. She became, she's kind of like our daughter now. And uh, Louise would counsel her and um, spend many hours praying with her and talking with her and discipling her faith. And today she's married with one child and another child on the way. And she's risen up through, uh, She's uh, uh, now works for the Department of Public Prosecutions um, and has an incredible responsibility of trying to bring the kingdom of God into the criminal justice system. But it all began with a bag of groceries. Just somebody stepping out of their world and going into somebody's world and being kind and being generous and being loving. Today we're um, introducing a new rhythm or a new component into the life of our church services and that is Mission Sunday. And um, once each school term we want to highlight the mission projects or the mission partners that we as a church are involved in. And we want to remind us as a community, be reminded as a community how important mission is. How important it is that we are light in this dark world that we are, have been given this incredible responsibility to be uh, carriers of the good life to those that are around about us. And so it's with great pleasure that I tell you that we, we're Im- involved as a church in a whole bunch of stuff. Locally, we're involved with the coach program. Uh, there's Rosebud uh, Secondary College, which we're involved in providing breakfasts uh, uh, for the students uh, two mornings a week. And um, Nate's involved in um, working with young people there as well. Uh, the Southern Cross Kids Camps, which we're supporting the indigenous, uh, indigenous component of that camps. Internationally, we connect with um, the Nicholsons in France and Glenn and Tracy in Cambodia and the McCartney family in Thailand and Nikki and Andrew in, um, in Swaziland. And that's wonderful, and, and we should be so proud of of our engagement and our support and our prayers and our connection with those things. But it's really exciting that another family in our church community have felt led by God to go out 
and move out beyond their comfort zone and uh, make a difference in the world. And uh, Josh and Karen and Eli and Seth, um, you're going to guys going to come and share just a little bit of your story this morning. So thank you. Thank you. So those who don't know me, I am Karen, Josh, and we have Eli and Seth, who hopefully will sit quietly as we're up here sharing. So Josh and I and the boys are moving over to Cambodia and would like to share with you our story, our journey on how we came to make this decision, how we came to decide to move to Cambodia, a third world country, and leave the wonderful Mornington, Mornington Peninsula. Um, it's our journey, but it's God's journey and what God's done um, on Josh's heart over the years as he's grown up, but also my heart more recently because this is not something I ever thought I would be doing. Um, three years ago, Josh got a new job at Flinders Christian Community College. And on his first day of the job, he came home with a massive grin on his face and I thought it was just first day's grins, but he says to me, do you know Flinders is affiliated with a school in Cambodia? One day, we're going to go over there, we're going to live and we're going to teach. I'm like, in my head, no, nah, no way. But I tried to be a supportive wife and said, oh, that's really interesting, Josh. <laughs> right. Now, Josh is an ideas man, um, and I've learned to live with a husband who's an ideas man. He often has ideas, and I've learned to just take these ideas as a thought, an idea. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, it's just an idea. And I thought Cambodia was just one of these ideas that would eventually get pushed away. Um, you know, all these ideas don't come to happen. Um, over the next two years, Josh continued to bring up this idea of Cambodia, and I continued to get really frustrated with him. One day he announced it to his family at a family dinner and he said to his family, we're going to move to Cambodia for a year and we're going to work over there and live. And I gave Josh the death stare. You know that one? <laughs> Says so much without any words. And his family turned to me and said, really? Because they knew it's not something I'd want to do. And I said, no. <laughs> no, we are not. It's not going to happen. We're not moving to Cambodia. Realising that this was maybe not just an idea that Josh ha had, it was something that could possibly happen, I decided to have the talk with Josh where I laid down the law and put my foot down and I said, Josh, what you're asking me is to move from my home that I absolutely love, to leave our community that we feel so connected to, to leave my job that I feel so wonderful working at. Such a blessing to work in a job that I love every day. You're asking our boys to leave their school where they're happy and we're happy with the school. You're asking us to leave our family and our friends that we've been journeying with over the last few years. You're asking me to do this. And Josh, with his annoying but very lovely grin, said yes. <laughs> That's what I'm asking us to do. And I said, well, it's not going to happen because I don't want to go. Now, what do you do when your partner has a desire on their heart that you don't have yourself? Does one of you sacrifice your desires? I don't think that's entirely fair. So I decided to take the wise option. And the next time Josh brought it up, I said, look, if it's meant to be, God will change my heart. But honestly, on the inside, I was saying, that's not going to happen. It's your heart that's going to change. We're not going to Cambodia. It's not going to happen. Now, I mentioned earlier that I have a job that I absolutely 
love, and I do. I'm a teacher. I work part-time in a school that helps students who have been some, through some sort of emotional trauma, and they come to us. They've been disengaged from school because of the emotional trauma, and it's our job to re-engage them and then find them a future pathway. It's a job I feel like I've been born to do. I feel so at home in this place, it's so comfortable and where God wants me to be. But six months ago, I had a day at work where I didn't feel like that. I started to get frustrated over little things and I started to feel really unsettled and really confused because that's not a feeling I've ever felt before, unsettled. And I was driving home from work and I said to God, what is this feeling I'm feeling? What is this unsettledness? If I'm feeling unsettled, where to next? And as I asked that question, it scared me. Where to next? I thought, that's crazy. I am right where I'm supposed to be. And I tried to push their feeling away. I got home, walked through the front door, still carrying these feelings of unsettledness, and I see Josh with his grin, and he says, did you see the email I sent you? I said, no, I didn't have a chance to read your email while I was at work. I'll go read it now. So I sat down in our library and had a look at this email. As I sat down, I still had these feelings of unsettledness. I still felt something was wrong, something else needed to happen. I opened up this email and read the job advertisement for working at Hope International School in Cambodia. And I thought this was really unfair. I'm feeling unsettled. You're not supposed to throw something at me right now. But it was the perfect time to throw it at me. And I went over to Josh and he said, what do you think? I didn't want to tell him what I was thinking because my heart was saying, this is what we're supposed to do. But my head was saying, it's never going to happen. So I thought, I'll throw the idea to the kids. This will get me out of it because the kids won't want to move to Cambodia. They don't like change. They can't handle a toy box being moved in another place. They can't handle the change of moving to another country. So I turned to the boys and I said, hey, boys. And I thought I was really, you know, cocky. <laughs> hey, boys, do you want to move to Cambodia? And it was the opposite reaction than I expected. They jumped up and down and said, yes, let's move to Cambodia. Let's go now. I'm like, no, they just don't understand what moving to Cambodia actually really means. I said, so if we move to Cambodia, we're leaving our house for an entire year. We're leaving all your toys for an entire year. You've got to leave your school your friends and your family, do you still want to move to Cambodia? Exactly the same reaction. They jump up and down and said, yes, let's go. I'm like, this isn't fair. My heart's saying yes, my head's saying no, my kids are saying yes, my husband wants to go, what am I to do? So I said to Josh, okay, let's email the school and suss it out. Let's see what happens. We still need a whole lot of doors to open. We need them to not only have a high school secondary position, teaching position for you, but we need a primary teaching position for me. We also need these positions at the same campus because there's two campuses in Cambodia. We also need them to be able to fit the boys into the school as well. And the next door we need open is that we need our workplaces to agree to a year's leave. So many doors are needed to open and I thought that I'd be safe. But God opened every single one of those doors. <laughs> and we were going to apply for these positions in Cambodia. So we applied for these positions, 
But we applied for positions to work within the Australian school year. So we thought that we'd go over to Cambodia, we'd work January to December, and it wouldn't be very disruptive to our lives at home, wouldn't be disruptive to our jobs, our workplaces, and the boys' schooling. We were going to apply for a job, work in Cambodia from January to December. Then we got an email from the jobs after we interviewed, and they said, yeah, we would like to offer you a position, but we'd like you to work from August to June, so the Cambodian school year. Josh read this email and he shut down instantly. He's like, we're not going, nope, it's not working, it's too disruptive to our lives in Australia, it's not going to happen. And Eli overheard this conversation and he turned to Josh and he said, Daddy, it might not be your perfect timing, but it's God's perfect timing. <laughs> and I turned to Josh and I said, oh, so we're going to Cambodia, aren't we? And he said, yep, we're going to Cambodia. So we'd agreed to go to Cambodia. God had done a lot of work in my heart and I was excited about going to Cambodia. But I said, God, I'm giving you a year. We're only going for a year. And I was telling two of my close friends, um, two lovely friends, um, about our trip to Cambodia and how I'd said to God that we're going for a year. And these two lovely friends, and I say lovely in a way where they're the type of people that will challenge you and speak honestly into your heart. And they said to me, I don't think you can give God an agenda. I don't think you can tell God that you're going for one year. I think you've got to go with an open heart. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going for a year. I've told God it's a year. That's it. And then I remember sitting on that feeling for a while and feeling a bit frustrated and saying, God, I'm giving you enough already. We're going to Cambodia, so it's only going to be a year. And uh, I felt God say this to me. Don't worry about what you do not know. Trust me. Let go of your agenda. Go with an open heart and give everything to me. So we're going to Cambodia in July. We're going with an open heart. We don't know what the time frame is. It could be a year, like I hope it is, or it could be longer. But the point is that we're going with an open heart, without an agenda, and we're going to see what happens. You, you speak well, Karen. Good job. So just a, a quick summary. Within a week of inquiring about this job, we had sent our resumes We'd interviewed, we got offered a job, we accepted a job, and then we were trying to sort out leave within a week. I mean, we're in a country, we, we just got approved and accepted into this job in a country that I didn't even know anything about. I, I expect that Cambodia will be hot, but I didn't even really, and I still don't know a lot even about Pol Pot. I mean, we're stepping into this unknown. What we do know is that Hope is an international school, it started in 2002, and uh, it was set up to support World Mission uh, by offering Christ-centred uh, education for Christian missionary families. We know that it's got two campuses. There's one in Phnom Penh, has about 300 students, caters for kinder to year 12. And there's a secondary campus in Siem Reap, has about 50 students and students from kinder to year 9. So Karen's got a job teaching primary. I'll be teaching middle school maths and science. But unlike other international schools that have very high salaries, 
living, home, living away from home allowances, uh, flights back to your original country. Um, Hope offers an allowance. It, it will cover our, our rent and our food whilst we're living in Cambodia, but we're not going to be earning quite the same as our Australian equivalent salaries. In fact, Hope, as a community, strongly recommends that we have uh, financial support from our home country in order to serve at their school. Um, at the beginning, uh, well, yeah, at the beginning of April uh, this year, we'll be heading off to a, uh, a mission awareness um, training facility, opportunity camp thing. Um, it's called MIST. It's uh, Missions Interlink Short Term Training, and it's going to give us a bit of an insight as to what we need to expect when we move to a developing nation uh, to serve in whatever capacity we will be serving. Um, we will be looking at aligning ourselves with some sort of international mission agency um, to offer that pastoral support and, and care that we need, but we know that Bayview as our home church and a very important place to us, um, we would like to be our primary sort of partner in this, mission, in this mission journey and we're hoping that we can work together in, uh, in supporting us and, um, in whatever way that, that, that looks. So we don't really know what to expect. You can see I'm pretty nervous still. Uh, we're heading off without an agenda, as Karen said. We, <clears throat> we're, not expect, pardon me, we're not expecting to change the world, but we certainly are expecting change. Um, and I like what Paul writes in Romans chapter 1. He's talking <clears throat> pardon me, to the people in, in Rome. He says, For I long to visit you so I can bring some spiritual blessings that will help you grow strong in the Lord. I'm eager to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. In this way, each of us will be a blessing to one another. So I think we've got some great skills that we can offer as educators you know, we're trained professionals. We've done this for quite some time. Um, we want to be able to support the others who are using their skill set in the mission field. Um, but I know that we're going to be stretched, challenged, but ultimately profoundly blessed for this. So, yeah, we're heading off to CM Reap, which is the smaller campus, 50 kids, five teachers. We'll make up half the teaching staff. Uh, we don't have tickets. We do have our passports. Uh, we will be leaving in July. We don't know when. Um, we know that we've been approved leave, but we don't know how long we're going for. We, we know that we need to build up some sort of financial support, but we don't really know how much. We, we don't know where we're going to live. We don't know where we're going to shop. We don't know how we're going to travel to work. We don't really know a lot. Um, we can't speak the language. We don't know where we're going to attend church. We, we, we just don't know much. But what we do know is that we're on the brink of an adventure. And what we, what we do know, famously from Mary Poppins when she returned, was that we're on the brink of an adventure, children. Don't spoil it with too many questions. <laughs> so that's us. We're heading off on an adventure in July. We don't really know what we're in for but God will be with us.
We've got some prayer points, which we can just chuck up on the slide. You know, there's some boring things like we've got to rent our house and we need to be prepared and, you know, all that kind of stuff. We need to have some money. But I like what Steve talks about uh, as Bayview. Our mission isn't changing. We still want to make friends. (laughs) Make a difference. And be better disciples. We're going to pray for this uh, wonderful family and and I'm just so thrilled by um, the journey that they've been on and the openness to hearing God and the willingness to step out in faith and and, um, for us as a church community to partner with them as they go in prayer, partner in uh, financially and whatever other support that they need as, 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 as as a team going out, that they're not going alone but we're with them in spirit. And, and, and in whatever other ways that we can practically be with them. So could we, as a church, as many of us would like to come and gather around them, we're going to pray for them, their time of preparation, and uh, also um, for all of the various needs that they have and that they would, uh, as they go, would be a blessing. Father, we just thank you for courage. God, we thank you for the courage to step out of the boat. And Lord, as they would um, look at this journey, Father, the, the hills and the valleys, God, the unknowns, Lord, we thank you that, God, that you will prepare the way for them. God, we thank you that um, you will help them ask the right questions. Father, you will help them know the right answers. Lord, in that journey. Father, we thank you for the training that they're going to receive, that they're humbling themselves and saying, help us. And God, we really do pray, God, that you will um, begin to open doors, Lord, for the finances, for their home to be rented. God, that you would prepare a place for them to live in Cambodia. God, that you will um, smooth the way for all of those little everyday things. But God, above all else, God, we just pray that they would know your peace and protection as they prepare. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. How exciting. Whether we we go to um, Cambodia or um, our neighbour our workplace, um, we're all missionaries. We're all called um, to uh, take the life of God, um, to be a blessing in whatever way we can, whether it's to hand somebody a bag of groceries, uh, to sit down with them and, 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 and share the gospel, counsel them, encourage them, whatever it is. Every one of us, um, we're, we're already on the mission field. We're very blessed that we've been called to a wonderful uh, place like the peninsula to be in mission. Um, but wherever we go, please, please don't think that um, uh, Josh and Karen and the kids are some unique brand of missionary because they're not. We're all called to go. 
We're all called to go and make a difference. And so I encourage you to do that.